Shapeshifters. Shapeshifters on The Money Show. A great pleasure to welcome to The Money Show studio Bobby Godsell, former chief executive of Anglo Gold Ashanti, member of the National Planning Commission. Um, he is uh, today wearing his hat as the chairman of Business Leadership South Africa. When you retired from business life, Bobby, did you think you were going to take it easy? Because you almost seem to have been busier in the last seven or eight years than you ever were at Anglo Gold Ashanti. No, in fact, I said at the, I retired at the age of 55, yeah. having done careful financial planning, by the way. Good. Listening to your previous guest. And I indicated that I was going to explore other areas of being an active and constructive citizen. I think yeah. that's what I've done in the last six years. Um, and, and you've been very, very active. You spent some time as chairman of Eskom. We know that story very well, the National Planning Commission. But you weren't born exactly with a silver spoon in your mouth, were you? No, no, I was born to uh, in a working-class uh, family. My father was an artisan, my mother a bookkeeper, and we lived uh, in the suburb of the Bluff in Durban. So it was good working-class roots. Better working-class roots, by the way, than Saul Ramaphosa, who was actually born the son of a warrant officer in the South African police force. So I would say that was middle class. No, no, he had a much better start in life than you, <laughs> than you did. And it shows, look, I mean, he's... And doing, he's used it. Uh, and he's used it. Very he's, well. He's used it very well. Um, you went to government schools. You didn't, yes. have, uh, you didn't have an Ivy League education or, to any stretch of the imagination. No, no, no. I had a very good education, by the way. And, yeah. you know, I, I had an excellent, what we would call now Model C education which uh, has equipped me as very well in, in, in my life. What did you study at university? Because you did get to university. Sociology and philosophy, two really important disciplines. Explain to me why, because <laughs> in the 21st century, you would never have become chief executive of Anglo Gold Ashanti, or maybe you would have, with sociology and philosophy as subjects. Oh, I think that, I think that, you know, that the trend is moving in the direction of the liberal arts, Listen, philosophy is thinking about thinking, and hopefully CEOs have to think. And sociology is understanding about how people act together in society. And what could be more important in South Africa, but or indeed in the United States, in Britain, in Turkey, in Egypt, uh, than that second question? Mm, absolutely. I mean, when we, we look at the, the situation we find ourselves in South Africa, and we, it feels like we need to have a lot more thinking happening rather than uh, reacting to, to various crises ac- across the board, whether it be in the corporate sector, the public sector, whether it be in government. You know, Bruce, it's funny about our country. We, we seem to have polarized into two camps. <laughs> yes. The first camp says... The country is a much, much better society than it was in 1994. Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing Mr. Mantash, saying we have a good story to tell. The second camp says, but we can and should and must do very much better going forward. And both of these things are true. Yeah. I would, I would concur. Um, I want to ask how you got your first job at Angler, but uh, a quick question from Peter in Greenside this evening. If I'd ask you to pop your headphones on uh, over there, Bobby, so you can hear Peter in Greenside. Uh, your comment, Peter in Greenside, thanks for, thanks for your call. How are you? We, we're very good, Peter. Your, your point to Bobby Gotzel? Bobby, very briefly, an economic odessa and empirical distance of Africa with the discrepancy or the difference between the ass and the growing bigger and bigger all the time. Thank you, Peter. Horrible cell phone signal there. Um, Clem Sunter, your, your ex-Anglo colleague, talks about economic cadessa. He's very outspoken about the need for people with different economic interests to get around a table and to hammer out some sort of common understanding of an economic future in South Africa. Is it something, to your mind, that would be useful? 
Well, let me give you a classic South African yes-no answer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, the no part, Bruce, is that I'm really nervous about what I would call big events. <laughs> One dramatic event, uh, which often turns into a photo opportunity, which as the weeks and months go by disappoints. What I think is absolutely correct is, you know, we, we, really, Cadessa was a political compact. It was actually, in a way, uh, the whites and the blacks saying, hey, let's live together, negotiate, compromise, and share political power, rather than have a civil war and kill each other. Yeah. That's a good thing. Mm. Uh, I, you know, we need a deeper and more robust social compact on economic issues on how wealth is generated, how wealth is distributed, on how we can grow this economy, which we need to, to two or three times its size over the next 20 years. I'm not sure that that can be achieved by a single event. And, you know, indeed, Cadessa, remember, was the result of decades of struggle Absolutely. and decades of dialogue. And, you know, I think the social compact is needed as much in the workplaces of Lundman, <laughs> yeah. as it is in the conference halls of, 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 of the Santon Convention Center just down the road from here. Yeah. Um, I, and we, need, we need both, but we need social compacting. We need South Africans to talk about the future more than the past and say, how do we actually build the kind of country everybody wants? How did you get that first job at Anglo? You, you were pretty cheeky about it, weren't you? Yeah, sure. I, I had a friend uh, in, in the furniture business. I, I mean, <laughs> I had a friend in Anglo-American, somebody I'd met through the Methodist Church and the Progressive Party, Alec Burain. Because you nearly became – you were thinking about becoming a Methodist minister at some point. Yeah, that's true. And, and actually, I was headed for uh, a further degree thinking about teaching sociology. But I wrote to Alec Burain and, and said that I see, they saw that he'd got a job recently at Anglo, and I was absolutely sure that he needed an assistant – and I was available. And, I mean, fortunately, he responded to that cheeky approach. And, and got you into the door at Anglo. Yes. And you went into a, very, a company that's very different to what it was today, what it is today. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was a company that provided opportunities. But it was pretty insular in its thinking. And you went in and you rattled that cage from a, a labor relations point of view quite actively in the 80s in particular. Yeah, this is true. You know, I was incredibly lucky. I mean, remember, Anglo was led by Harry Oppenheimer, yeah. who had actually brought lots of strange and unusual people. I mean, he'd hired a number of banned people. He'd hired, he'd, he'd supported Sailor Milan. He'd hired people like W.D. Wilson, who were, you know, deep ethical thinkers and interested in things like me, society, religion, and other things. He'd also hired a bunch of hard-nosed businessmen, and it was that the team together. And Harry himself, of course, was really interested in the big question. How do we build South Africa into a great society? Is it possible to deny black workers economic rights in the workplace? And if you can't do that, then they must surely, in due course, get political rights in the, the society. So, you know, I, I had huge support for the th questions that I was investigating. And, you know, I look at the, the clear-sightedness of people like Harry Oppenheimer, Anton Rupert and others. Mm. And, you know, they, those are much the, as much the architects of the new South Africa as anybody else. Yeah, and, and you were given that, that scope because in the 1980s, your, your, your friend now, Sir Ramaphosa, maybe he was your friend then, I don't know, you met across the negotiating table with, at what was at that point probably the most serious industrial action South Africa had faced since Smuts suppressed the mine workers in the 1920s. Yeah, absolutely. And, and recall that, you know, in the 1987 strike, this was really not a strike about wages. I mean, it's interesting to compare, by the way, sure. with the platinum thing. We were half a percent apart on, as I recall, 13% offer and a 13.5% demand. So this wasn't really about wages. It was about power. 
sure. and who controls the minds. Nam had a slogan in 87 to say, we control the minds. It was a nice straightforward yeah. slogan. But Nam equally were keen to bury apartheid. My compatriot James Modlatsi said in front of Welsh television, I will take down the headgear of Western Deep Levels brick by brick if that's what it takes to get rid of apartheid. So it was a double agenda. Maybe there are elements of a double agenda now, too. Uh, I want to talk about the potential of that double agenda and what your reading is of the AMCU standoff as things stand at the moment. But you went through a process of unprecedented negotiation at that time. And, and you can't deny your own role in the dismantling of apartheid as well through that negotiation process. Yeah, you know, individual. I don't think individual roles are really that important. <laughs> I do think the workplace served as a testing ground a crucible, uh, an apprenticeship for could power be shared in a way that would meet the needs of the skilled whites who ran the economy and the the semi-skilled blacks without whom the economy certainly wouldn't run? Could we share power and actually meet each other's needs? And I think that was critical for, for, for what happened between 90 and 94. And, you know, negotiating to reach an agreement is a good alternative to, to, to fighting wars. I mean, that's always been a strand sure. in South African history. Um, you're, you're still on the board of the IDC, are you? Yeah. You are, because Bongani in Orange Grove has got a question yep. for you this evening. Hello, yep. Bongani. Hi, uh, person Bobby. Bobby, I just wanted to find out, as you sit on the board of the IDC, what is your opinion on the effectiveness of such institutions in driving industrial development? And um, if you question it, what more could they do and what should they be doing? Is the focus as it should be? Great question, Bongani. Thanks very much. IDC uh, is, is a place that, that brilliant minds like uh, Laurie Dippenard and Paul Harris came out of that environment. Sassel emerged out of the IDC as well. And I've spoken to Jeff Pino about this and saying, where's the next Sassel out of the IDC? And he looks at me and wants to throw things at me when I ask that question. <laughs> What's your thought from Bongani's perspective? Yeah, I think it's a great institution. I think it's a national asset. Uh, it's playing at the moment two absolutely vital roles. The one is achieving a very important transformation in our economy to make sure that in human capital terms, we use 100% of the gene pool, the blacks as well as the whites, the women as well as the men. The second agenda, and you've got to pursue the two together, is indeed to, to find the next Sassel, the next ISCOR, yeah. the next GenCor, because yeah. these are the three companies from which actually the IDC today draws most of its dividends. And now, the IDC has played a very important role in, uh, in solar energy, and South Africa has emerged as one of the top countries internationally. I think we have 140 billion rands invested now in solar power. In a very short period of time, we have become world leaders in concentrated uh, uh, solar power, in photovoltaic solar power, and, and actually doing good work in wind power as well. So that's one example. But there must be many others. Some in the creative uh, arts, by the way. Yeah. We're, we're, we're gaining traction in animation. We've got a good film studio, which is IDC-funded, down in Cape Town. You know, I, I'm not really believing in, in, in picking winners. And in my, to your call, I would say, you know, the, the great thing is we need more entrepreneurs with great ideas. They should bang on doors of their families, their friends, yes. their customers. That's where it starts, yeah. The banks. And the IDC. And I would hope that the IDC would be ready to take risks on South African talent to find the next Sassel. 
There we go. Bobby Gotzel is our shapeshifter this evening. Not only is he on the board of the IDC, he also saw, serves on the board of the London-listed Russian gold and silver metal company, Polymetal International. Um, he works with uh, as well as Zimavavi. He is good friends still with James Mortlatsi, the man who, who threatened to tear down the headgear at Western Deep Levels. And of course, he is the chair of Business Leadership South Africa. I want to talk to him about the parallels he sees now between the standoff between AMCU and the platinum sector. The same sort of parallels, perhaps that he saw in his mining, his gold mining sector negotiations in the 1980s. Our shapeshifter tonight is Bobby Godsell. He's in studio with me this evening. Sandile Zungu, um, who is well-known in business circles. Bobby Godsell on my Twitter account. Please ask Bobby what he thinks uh, should be the future of organized business in South Africa. You with Business Unity South Africa. Sandile Zungu's got his thing. Jimmy Mundy's got his thing going on. Organized business, the role of organized business? Okay, uh, two sharp answers. I mean, firstly, as soon as possible, we need one national umbrella body that you know, meets the, the needs of black business people and white business people, of small business, medium and big business. We, we really need that because our country needs business to be a better partner. And that's the second thing. I think actually on the really big questions, I mean, let me put it this way. The, the National Development Plan has a dream of a South Africa in 2030, a, yeah. a very attractive South Africa, unemployment at 6%, uh, good health care, schools, communities, safety, uh, everybody with a decent life. Now, you know, I don't think there are big differences between any of these business organizations and certainly not big differences along racial lines as to whether we want the vision and where the business has a role to play in that vision. And a business must get its act together and then join the dialogue with government and labor and simply make it happen. Has business been inadequate in its discussions with the Zoom administration in particular? Well, look, you know, it's, it's got hugely better. I mean, uh, at the beginning of last year, we had a really important meeting with President Zuma. That has led to, to, to five working groups in which, by the way, BBC and BUSA yeah. are working absolutely harmoniously Good. together. Concrete issues, education, infrastructure, regulation, uh, skills. Uh, and, uh, you know, quietly outside of the headlines, sure. <laughs> not on radio. No, but, but sometimes <laughs> people that, are prepared that needs to, to talk, happen. you know, yeah. candidly uh, and constructively. And we're coming up with solutions jointly framed by government and business. Now, I must say in my 40 years, this is a first and a very encouraging first. And I hope that we keep on this track. Amku, give me your perspective. Yeah, an interesting parallel. You know, 12,500 is the big number. Now, I don't, you know, I don't speak for the companies and I don't need to. But, you know, I actually think if you take what the platinum guys are paying, you add the living out allowance and maybe you add a few other like seniority payments, they're not very far away from 12,500. Which brings you to your hypothesis that similar to the negotiations with Cyril Ramaphosa in the 80s, this is maybe more than about money. Well, it, it's two points. I think the parties need to quickly settle on a goal for what constitutes a fair wage in the platinum sector. And I don't think they're very far apart now. And please, God, for everybody's sake, it won't be many more days. Yeah. The second parallel is with NUM. You know, they were fighting for a place at the table, a place at the table with the Chamber of Mines, but a place also in Parliament. That's what they were fighting for. Sure. Okay. And I think th th there's a similarity with AMCU. I think um, perhaps there was a little bit of tardiness <laughs> on the part of government to recognize AMCU as a full and important partner in resolving the They underestimated the how powerful AMCU would platinum. become. I yeah. think the employers similarly did that. 
And, you know, the stakes are just too important for our country. We don't want another Marikana. No. We don't want another single death. And the deaths, of course, have continued since Marikana. Sure. So, you know, we should be patriots. <laughs> we should say, let's solve this problem by talking. We can do that. South Africans are good at that. That's the challenge. Herbert, in Morningside, remember something you said fairly recently. Hello, Herbert. Quick point from you. Bruce, it's Herbert. Um, I wanted to ask Bobby, um, probably about a year ago, he was talking about um, uh, garnishing orders and that if he had to go back to the mining industry, he would ignore it and take it to court. Um, And I agree with that because um, I think it's probably one of the underlying reasons for these huge uh, wage disputes that we're seeing at the moment. So I want Her- Herbert, thanks very much. Bobby, your, your comment on garnishing orders, you were massively outspoken against yes. the, the practice. Well, the, there's a deeper problem, of course, that people have too much debt. Yeah. But I don't believe it's the employer's job to collect uh, the, 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 the debt of retailers and others extended uh, to, to their clients. Yeah, uh, but, but, but also, is, the, is that part of the underlying problem, this, this huge disparity where people are paying off such huge uh, debt burdens, the huge interest rates, the insurance rates that come along with it, the structure of, of that debt can, is also somewhat problematic. I mean, you recall, immediately after Marikana, the, the media were shown pay slips sure. of rock operators taking home 2,000 rands and less. Yeah. But that's not their basic pay. That was their basic pay minus the garnishy orders. <laughs> yeah. What I'm saying is, you know, the, the person who gives the debt should take the responsibility for collecting it. I'd also say to individuals, for goodness sake, save. <laughs> I yeah. mean, exactly what your, what your retirement guy was saying. Yep. You know, if you save the money over an equal period of time, you can get twice the car, twice the house, twice the television set at half the price. Absolutely. If you do it properly. You're an optimist about the future of South Africa? Profoundly. There we go. One word answer. I like that. Bobby Godsell, who is the chairman of Business Unity South Africa and so much more.